This is the Radioactive Summer Break. I'm Laura Jones, bringing you a mix of music discovery and community amplified. Thanks for tuning in. Earlier this month, the Utah Society of Professional Journalists recognized Radioactive as the number one public affairs talk show. Sue Robbins and I were also recognized for a profile of Southern Utah musician Amanda Barrick. And we'll replay that piece later this hour, as well as catch up with Sue, community co-host emeritus here at Radioactive. Since stepping away from the mic, she's been stepping up as a community advocate and member of the Transgender Advisory Council at Equality Utah. She'll talk about her behind-the-scenes work to stave off legislation that discriminates against transgender Utahns, specifically transgender girls in sports. First, we're going to start with Sue's pick for our Songs of Summer playlist. Well, what I have, and whenever I think of summer when I was younger, I can't help but have the song Seasons in the Sun come into my mind with Terry Jacks. And I think about the outdoors and love while you're being outdoors. And my wife, Teresa, is so amazing, has done some great work with the Anakee horses. And we love to hike together and be outdoors doing photography together. So that just fits so well for us. So for my love, Teresa, Seasons in the Sun by Terry Jacks. Songs of Summer, right here on KRCL's Radioactive Summer Break. Goodbye to you, my trusted friend. We've known each other since we were nine or ten. Together we've climbed hills and trees. Learned of love and ABC, skinned our hearts and skinned our knees. Goodbye, my friend, it's hard to... KRCL invites you to support back-to-school supply drives, like that of the Community Action and Fellowship Foundation. Drop off backpacks, notebooks, pens, paper, lightly used laptops, phones, and flash drives at Uprock 1594 South State Street in Salt Lake City by August 20th. You're listening to the Radioactive Summer Break on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones. Since stepping away from the mic here at Radioactive, Sue Robbins has been focusing on policy, helping to raise awareness of the transgender community with lawmakers who, like other Republican-led legislatures elsewhere, have been drafting laws to limit or prohibit transgender girls' ability to compete in high school sports. Here's our conversation. Checking in with Sue Robbins, my partner in community journalism for a couple of years here on the show. And Sue, we won! (laughs) (laughs) the society for professional journalists recently handed out some awards and uh, radioactive submitted several entries and we were recognized in radio profile category we're number two we're number two for the interview i know right the interview we did with amanda barrick a musician out of uh you know saint george area yeah, and and being queer down in Southern Utah was covered along with her musical interest and budding career, which she's continued doing. I've been watching her since. So that was just the beginning of some great things for her. And we're going to replay that story here before we're done. But first, you know, this whole notion of a public profile and raising it is kind of the work that you did here as a community co-host, just raising awareness in the community is so important to be seen, especially as a member of the queer community in Utah, right? It is. There's so many stories to be told out there, so many personal experiences that many of us don't really know are going on out there. So 
being able to raise those voices was really important to me. And it's, uh, it's very flattering to be able to be recognized for it because I feel like I'm stepping into what I consider some pretty, some pretty amazing journalists we have here in Utah. We have quite a spread between print and radio journalism and some amazing people. So to be even mentioned in their breath to me is quite an honor. Well, we're going to play that piece, as I said, in a minute, but I wanted to spend a few minutes catching up with you because one of the reasons you departed the show was to really focus on your advocacy, direct advocacy in the community. And you're a member of the Transgender Advisory Council of Equality Utah. And this summer, spending a lot of time with lawmakers in interim session, you've had two behind you. There's another one coming up in September and October. Um, how's it going, educating folks, raising awareness of the queer community with lawmakers? I feel it's important that we have these discussions. We said this back during the legislative session that things were moving too fast and we weren't at the table. And it's very important when you have an impacted community to be at the table and to have a voice. Now, one of the things I think is difficult is the transgender community has so many misunderstandings around us that education is a long arc to me. And we're, we're on that path right now with this group, both um, specifically with this group and with the community in general. So I'm still trying to put information out there to the community to, to educate everyone. But with this group, we're coming together and we basically are starting, started at ground zero. We had nothing to work with. We said, let's just actually have a discussion instead of what I felt, you know, when you're in a legislative session and a bill gets numbered and it's printed, the discussion is always centered around the focus of that bill and the direction of that bill. And you don't get to have a broader discussion to create more understanding. So I feel like we've started that path. I hope this uh, is very productive as we go through the entire process. There's a number of people that are at the table coming into this throughout the government. It's not just legislators, um, it's different offices and it's, uh, it's Equality Utah being in there along with the ACLU. So we, we have a diverse group and we're actually having some pretty open discussions about impact and about uh, the way transgender community has a gatekeeping around us and those types of things. So we're able yeah. to dig in a little further. And you know, I know at least at the base level, we're creating, creating greater understanding. Where we go with the bill is still ahead of us. Uh, you know, there's no words that are being put at paper after two meetings. And uh, that is the intent because that would be going too fast and creating more misunderstandings. Where right now we're just trying to get more of the information out to each other. And Representative Berkland's been out there holding um, sessions with parents, uh, little round tables with different groups. And I appreciate that because then she gets to hear their perspective and how their youth have been impacted by different laws, uh, medically, legally, socially. There's all different ways our transgender youth are impacted. And she's able to hear that directly from those parents. So. I appreciate that that's happening. I appreciate that we're at the table. And I know at least at the minimum level, we're going to bring the education along further. It's just a question of how far can we go in an off session. The bill that's kind of front and center in my mind with the Olympics just having wrapped up is the one about transgender young women and their ability to not just participate, but compete in sports. And I thought we'd spend a few minutes on that. It's a much broader topic. And I know we're going to have you back in September to talk about it. 
But uh, the Olympics, you know, got a lot of attention about, you know, how fair is this? What are the rules? Like you said, gatekeeping around it. And um, you've done some back of the envelope calculating in terms of, of numbers, in terms of athletes and what you would think would be represented at the Olympics. Yes, and it's uh, it's interesting. So this is the first time we've had an out transgender individual participate at the Olympics. And we actually have three this year, uh, two who are non-binary and one who is a transgender woman. And there was also a transgender woman who is an alternate. So the one that got the focus of the attention initially is Laurel Hubbard, who's in weightlifting out of Australia. And she's a transgender woman competing in women's weightlifting. Uh, she went into her event. She was unable to complete all three of her lift attempts and was listed as did not qualify and ended up last in her event. But she uh, took on a lot being the first. She smiled when she was done. She thanked the Olympic Committee for the opportunity to participate, gave a, a heart symbol over her chest. She was just amazing in the way that she handled it all. And we can't even imagine in the background what she had to take on. But we also had our first transgender non-binary person who meddled. And that was Quinn, who was on the Canadian women's soccer team. They gold medaled with the U.S. team being silver. So Quinn will always be the first person who had meddled who is out transgender non-binary. So with these three individuals who participated, you know, it's, it gets kind of interesting how we look at it because everybody keeps trying to say transgender women can dominate. But if we just look at how many women participated and we don't have the final numbers in, but using um, some numbers that were out there in the calculation, it, there's approximately 5,400 to 5,450 participants in the women's categories. And we had one trans woman who participated. So that means she was at 0.018% of the total participants. And when you look at surveys, we're somewhere from 0.7% to 1.8% of the population, depending on how the question's asked. And if out of the 5,434 people, which I used as the number, uh, if you took those two percentages, we should have had anywhere from 38 to 98 participants at the Olympics on the women's side. And we had one. So that's so, certainly not dominance in my book. I've also seen the conversation crystallize around what this means to um, women's sports. And is it Title IX or Title X, Sue? I can't remember. I don't mind. I don't know. Women's so women's sports and and Title IX was huge for women's equality in sports, and so this is part of the discussion, and I think part of the fear driving the conversation too, because I've seen a lot of that in the coverage. You know, this will decimate women's sports. So this is something to bring into the discussion at our local level. It is, and I think it's a it's a it's a stance coming out of fear. If we embrace each other, then we are all in women's sports together because we are women. So I think we need to get rid of the fear and the division. I mean, this actually was a fear against black women way back um, and in sports. And that battle went on before um, black women were able to get some recognition and they still have their challenges. So really uh, uh, recognizing us in Title IX uh, as women is 
just a natural way to flow and a way to embrace the diversity of women in general. As we're seeing so far, we're halfway through the year, Idaho, which passed a sports ban in 2020, and then the other states that have passed a sports ban in 2021, there's been four injunctions in the courts against the sports bills, and they all cite Title IX and 14th Amendment as most likely applying, and that was the reason they put the injunction in place. So even in the court systems, and specifically in that, and then even in general, because we've seen a couple other cases that use Title IX and Title VII to say that that would harm the transgender community. So we're seeing the Civil Rights Act being used in support of the transgender community, at least at the lower levels and initial decisions. They have to hear cases. You know, injunctions are more protective than a decision. You know, if they feel like there could be harm by letting the law go into place, then they use the injunction to pause the law while they go through the process. So it's not a final outcome, but it does give insight into what the judge has already seen. So I think we need to get away from the fear and more into the education and brace us all together because your womanhood is a diverse and wonderful thing. And we should stop separating ourselves out by these little differences in us and just say women are women. And, uh, and we're all under Title IX. And we should all be supporting, lifting and protecting each other. Well, Sue, thanks for the update and the insight that you bring to not only Radioactive, but our community with your work on the Transgender Advisory Council with Equality Utah. So we'll see you in September for another update. And uh, let's play that piece that you won recognition for with the Society of Professional Journalists here in Utah, okay? That sounds great. Thank you so much, Amanda. It was wonderful sharing your story and wonderful to see how you have grown so much since then. This is Everyday People on KRCL Radioactive. I'm community co-host Sue Robbins. And with me tonight, I have a a Southern Utah uh, musician, uh, a folk rock musician at that. Uh, Her name is Amanda Barrick. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I've been looking forward to this immensely. Yeah, we're glad to have you on. And you've recently released an album called Wastelands. And this is your first album, I believe? This is my debut album. I've done a few like mini projects or like garage band um, type acoustic things, but this is my first full length, fully produced, um, yeah, heartbeat out there. So that's exciting. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in music that led you to release this album, if you could. Absolutely. Um, So my background in music, I started playing piano when I was a young person, um, seven, eight years old, fell madly in love with the drama of classical piano. Um, And then as I reached my teenage years, kind of that fell to the wayside. And at 17, I was a very angry, closeted, um, young lesbian. And my mom gifted me a guitar one year for Christmas, I think just in the hopes that I would find some peace or at least, you know, put my rage and anger into something. And it worked. And I started to, I I just self-taught myself for years. I just played like D and G and C and really basic, simple um, song structures. But I started to write and I started to express. um, And it really helped me feel that I had a voice and that I had a creative outlet. And it was an immensely powerful tool as a young person. Um, And then it's just kind of been with me as that, you know, creative 
expression side of me. And I worked on a couple of music projects in my 20s, but nothing really ever solidified. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I went through a breakup and um, went, spent the summer in Long Lake, New York with a friend. And um, she brought up a guitar and it was almost as if I had just been like rekindled with an old flame that I had just loved and missed and forgotten how much that music could help me and could heal me and could do all these wonderful things. So that summer, I just, I, I played guitar all summer. This was 2018. And when I came back um, to, to Southern Utah, I was, I was a student. So I just, I graduated last year from Dixie State University. And when I came back, it was all of a sudden, I was like, I want to play music. And I started playing around town and just kind of got a little buzz going. And a good friend of mine decided, she was like, you need music. Because after shows, you know, people would be like, where can I hear you? What, what, what can I do? Where can I find your music? And I'm all like, you just heard it. There is nothing. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and so we launched an Indiegogo campaign. And it was successful. And we raised the funds to get the album um, made. And then, and then that was kind of the, the story. So it's, it's, music has been something that has always been very near and intimate and dear to me. But it's only been within the last couple of years that I've stepped into my role as an artist and that identity and just like really feeling strongly that it's something that I want to do and I want to pursue and I want to share. And so that's what Wastelands was born out of that, finally having that confidence to step into that role as an artist and share my work, which I feel is a huge step that, you know, that that's a big leap for me. It feels very vulnerable to have my my music and, and the originals out there for the world, but it feels amazing at the same time. So um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of like a baby artist. I'm kind of figuring all of, all of that stuff out. I'm 37 years old, but I feel like a teenager being like, how do I promote my album, dude? <laughs> so this is your first album. Uh, you call yourself a folk rock musician and also a 21st century queer troubadour. So what is the makeup of this album? What type of music do you, what does the music really sound like? Do you have a couple songs that you'd like to highlight you know, the lyrics and the meaning and the feeling that you're putting into this music? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because the album is, is my debut album. I, I, I wanted to put on the songs that I'd had written, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, these songs and these ideas that had just interesting enough stayed with me all this time. And so um, it's quite diverse. Some of it is, you know, pretty classic Americana kind of country folk um, with a lot of like heavy string influence banjo. The title track Wastelands is this kind of just like really clunky, folky, uh, banjo um, but it's got this nice Jolene kind of vibe to it She was waiting by the back door said babe we gotta leave town get your shoes, get your suitcase your dog, your guitar cause we gotta go now cause they're coming well they know I make all things yes they're coming just the same um, and it just it's 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 political. Wastelands is definitely political. Um, it talks about, you know, being on the outs and feeling that this, you know, whatever, whatever governmental arm there that may be is coming for you. 
Um, so there's that 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 title track, but then there's also a love song in Much of You, which is all about heartache and and this broken relationship that you had invested so much time in. There was not much of you that I knew, and so little to begin with. Waiting for the bell to sound and the last one to fall down. On the block, block to the sky, the bird's eye can't see the grind. But I'm elbows um, And then there's a song about grief. So um, I want to say it's really cohesive, and I think in, in an over over overview it is, but it's also very diverse in the individual tracks. Um, and then I also have a couple of spoken word pieces on the album. I'm a spoken word poet, and I feel very strongly that that's something that I want to put into my craft and to, um, yeah, to share as well. So I have two spoken word pieces that I also put music to. And so those I love. I'm just obsessed with those. Um, but the vibe, I think, is, you know, angsty, unrequited love, um, political um, uprising, kind of. And then just overall finding out who you are. There's a, there's a bit of those songs that I think you can really hear my younger self trying to figure out who, who, who on earth is this person, you know? And so it's been, it's been a journey and it feels the album to me feels like a journey. It feels like really distinct chapters of my life. Um, and so, yeah, that's what it feels like. It feels like a, a big storybook to me. So it's performing in Southern Utah and being queer in Southern Utah probably has a lot of its uh, own barriers and challenges. Uh, do you want to kind of talk to how this has worked out for you? There's quite a beautiful, very small queer community here. And there's wonderful, wonderful people that want good things. Um, but it's, it's, it feels a little backwards. We call ourselves like, you know, we're Southern Utah, Utah's Dixie. And people are really wanting to hold on to that identity. And I don't understand it. I don't understand it at all. So I definitely feel on the outs. And I definitely feel um, like the little, the little, the little person, but I think what's different in this chem in this like you know age of where we are right now politically is it feels that the the higher the the more powerful people they are actively working to really really cause damage to our communities and it breaks my heart and it it just is a uh, it's all the more reason why we have to come together and we have to represent I I believe so strongly in queer representation I grew up in a small small town in Idaho and. I didn't have any language concerning um, the queer community at all. And it was just, it caused so much heartache as a young person. And it makes me so happy now that the language is developing and we are finally being able to express and be accepted in all these different um, identities. And it's beautiful. So we have to protect that and we have to protect um, the young people, and we have to um, we have to have, I think, a collective devotion to protecting our community because it feels like we are under attack, and it's scary. And I'm I'm kind of like a, a ballsy, brazen, you know, non-binary, go get you kind of person, but like I'm scared, and it, it's interesting. We had a group of Tuacon um, kids after the after the Jacob Blake, they wanted to meet and just be together because they wanted to, they wanted to be together and they wanted to see other people say, no, this is wrong. 
And we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, you know, MAGA Republican right wing grossness show up with guns and hate. And um, it's really sad. It's scary. But we're trying to keep our heads up. So well, I, my girlfriend and I, we for the first time, we're like, we want to we 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 want to leave. We're like, we don't this this hurts. It's hard. We're getting together with a group of friends tomorrow just because it literally to be like, we need to be around each other to brace ourselves for the next couple of months in this town because it's it's hate everywhere and it sucks. And there's right. a lot of good. I've, I feel like I'm coming down really, you know, harshly. Um but I don't I don't feel the need to sugarcoat it when I see what I feel. It's ugly. But, and certainly don't want to. Uh, having grown up in Idaho, I consider that a very, very red area. Mm-hmm. So you have that experience. You go down to southern Utah and you're saying it's a very, very red area. Do you feel outnumbered when you have an event like this where you have the protesters show up with the guns and everything? Does it feel do you feel severely outnumbered and uh, that creates its own oppression and its own fears. You feel, yes, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. You do feel outnumbered because you are outnumbered. I mean, you can visually see, you know, and I just, I'm so proud of the young people that keep showing up. Um, I Again, I've been to a couple of protests. I, I spent the majority of like where I came of age was San Francisco and California. And so um, the protests here are so, different it's 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 you don't feel that you know amazing feeling that you're standing up for something that's right you feel scared and you look around and you're just like wow this is really quite interesting a lady pulled a gun on a young black girl like yelling in faces i mean we're 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 talking about just like you're you're seeing humanity just at its just just like losing its losing its damn mind <laughs> and um, at its worst, you know, at its right worst, now. we're seeing a in lot, a lot of, the of worst. ways. In a lot of ways, yes. So, um, yeah, but it starts. So, it it starts by having conversations, you know, with our with our friends, with our family, f- with our families, and 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 you know, standing up for the things that that we need to stand up for. And also, I think I didn't realize, as in my twenties, I didn't realize how important local elections were. You know, I was all about, you know. Um, the state state elections and of course presidential elections. Um, and I'm learning and loving that in my 30s I'm becoming far more active on a on a local level. And that is that's where the real change is going to start, in my opinion. So um, yeah, just just encouraging friends and the people that can serve in in public service to to give them a shot and then support the people that are running and really support them like go out and campaign canvas with them do some things like be active about it so we're going to go um kenzie carter is for house 74 we're going to go canvas tomorrow morning for her so um yeah be active and the young people are leading the way in that now as well i'm just so inspired I'm so inspired by the young people. Well, thank you very much, Amanda. It's a pleasure to have you on. And we'd love to see you up here in Salt Lake City as you go around and perform too, because we'd love to hear you. We can get the community out a little. Yes, I would love that. I um, I definitely want to break into the Salt Lake scene as soon as possible. I've been dying to to get up there and play some shows. Amanda, which song would you like to share with our listeners right now? I would love to share a song called Family Business.
This song was written about Proposition 8 and the Mormon involvement um, in California about Proposition 8. It's a personal coming out story um, paired with my mother's story and then paired with a collective story that I hope um, is, is all of ours. All right, here's Family Business from Amanda Barrick on Everyday People on KRCL. I, I pled my case 10 years ago under the stoop at your mother's house. My words came slow and you got angry, but I kept myself intact. But you were a maniac. Musician Amanda Barrick in conversation with Sue Robbins, community co-host Emeritus on Radioactive. That piece originally aired September 14th of last year, and earlier this month it placed second in the radio personality profile category at the Utah Society of Professional Journalists annual awards banquet. Radioactive as a whole was awarded first place in the radio public affairs talk show category for our June 1st, 2020 show. It was a community roundtable reflecting on Salt Lake City protests turned riot last year, police reform and accountability, prosecutorial independence, and more. Check tonight's show notes for more details and an audio file to listen to it again. I just put the first KRCL bumper sticker on my car, and now I'm sporting KRCL wherever I go. I officially am a part of the KRCL family. Hi, I'm Trina Baghumian, KRCL's new Director of Underwriting and Special Events. If you own or manage a local business, I would love to connect you with our listeners. With thousands of sets of ears tuned to our station each week, your message will reach folks who value and support Utah's local business community. Become a KRCL sponsor today. Email me at trinab at krcl.org. 